0: So, if you got a Bible, Colossians two. Let's read this together, Um, and uh, maybe somebody wants to start us off. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened and overflowing See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and basic principles of this world rather than Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in the bodily form and you have been given fullness in Christ who is a head over your over every power and authority. In Him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human beings. Your whole self rule, but of flesh, was put off when you were circumcised to Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through your faith in the working of God. You raised Him from the dead. When you were dead, God made you alive with Christ who forgave us all our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us he has taken it away nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities he made a public spectacle of them trying to (laughs) Over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is <coughs> Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great. Are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, <coughs> grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish, with use, are based on merely human commands and teaching. Such regulations have indeed such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and the harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value. <coughs> Perfect thank you guys um, so again, paul's warning them, talking about these hostile, these dangerous i don 't know if theologies philosophies is probably the better the better term there uh, things that could take them captive, things that could lead them away, things that could abduct them, these thoughts um, we talked last two weeks ago we talked about jesus this kind of concept of that Jesus is not God, this is what we get in verses ten through eleven right um that, that the fullness of the deity lies somewhere else. I want to talk about this week about the second two, which we didn't get to two weeks ago. You are not worthy and outside opinions matter. And I tried to make that more articulate, but um, I couldn't think of anything more articulate. But I'll show you. We'll explain those in a little bit. Two weeks ago, if you weren't here, um, you know, just uh, like a, a minute recap, this kind of idea that Jesus is not God, right? So this comes in 10 and 11, where Paul says that the fullness of the deity lives in Christ, the fullness of deity lives in Christ, right? And one of the things that Paul does is he steals that term, that fullness term. He steals their, their vocabulary. He weaponizes against them. Fullness, the sum of supernatural forces, of gods who kind of control the fate of humanity. This was this was kind of popular Gnostic ideology, or, uh, theology that there was all these gods out there. And the fullness of the gods was kind of the sum of them when they all came together. And one of the things that Paul does is he says that the fullness, he takes that fullness idea and he directs that towards Christ. That Jesus is God. The fullness is found in Christ. And um, this quote by C.S. Lewis, which is, you know, one of the more famous quotes about the deity of Jesus, one of the really more insightful and sobering um, kind of thoughts you know, and and we hear this all the time. Jesus is a great moral teacher. He's a, a nice person. He's a social justice warrior. He's this or he's that. And then you have a lot of people say, yeah, but he's not really God, right? And Lewis says we can't say that, right? A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said wouldn't really be moral at all. He wouldn't be a great moral teacher. And, you know, he, he could be a lunatic. Um, I like that. Uh, on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg. Um, so he could be a lunatic. He could be the devil. Um, he sit, "He, You could do all this, you know, but you can't just say that he was a moral teacher. At the end of his quote, he says, let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to, right? So Paul, again, one of the dangerous um, and hostile philosophies that gets attached or that is attacking the church is that the fullness, right? The fullness is kind of somewhere out there. And Paul's combating that by saying the fullness of the deity is found in Christ. It is still a radical earth shattering. Like sometimes even when I think about that, I'm like, really that? And it, it really causes us to pause and to think you know that really the fullness is found in God uh, or in Jesus Christ. The fullness of the deity is found in Jesus Christ. So the two next things that I want to talk about this week, um, this kind of concept here that that you are not worthy. Okay, now here's what I mean by you are not worthy. So in eleven through fourteen, right, as Paul's kind of attacking these these dangerous philosophies, um, these these deceptive philosophies. Um, In 11 through 14, he begins by talking about circumcision. uh, Then he talks about being baptized. And then he also talks about forgiveness. Now, what's interesting about this is Paul's doing something here, right? He's he's addressing um, the insiders in this moment, right? If you in the first century decided at one point you had an awakening, you had an epiphany, let's see, I'm going to use, Brian, I'm going to use you, right? Brian says, I think really the way, the the true way is to follow Yahweh, that the God of Israel, I've been lost in my ways, but I want to convert to become an Israelite. I want to be a Jew. I want to enter into that religion. Now, Brian has this epiphany and they He goes to the synagogue. He goes to the temple and says, I want to convert, right? And they would look at Brian and they would say, okay, well, the first thing that we need to do is we're going to have to perform a surgery on downstairs, right? Now, remember in the first century, and I just want us to have a little bit of pain because this is not an easy surgery that you would take upon yourself, right? These are first century knives, weapons that would be used, gentlemen, gentlemen, Right? Like, this would not be a fun process. Like, you might, Brian, you might be like, nah, I'm, we're, I'm good. Maybe i have kind of. Circumcision? circumcision. Yes, I'm trying to talk about circumcision. If you wanted to convert to Judaism as an adult male, right, normally you wouldn't have been circumcised. Right? Normal people in the, in, in, in the first century would not have gone through circumcision. That was kind of an, like, nowadays everybody gets it. Nowadays they just put a little plastic ring They're not even doing the snip anymore. It's just like this little plastic ring that just kind of... But if you wanted to... We're spending too much time talking about the ins and outs of circumcision. If you wanted to be a, a Jewish man, like this, they would get out this, and they might not have been rusty, and they might have been sharp, but they would have got that off, and they would have cut the foreskin off. Your, well, we, your man <laughs> business. Your, what? You're getting all confused over there, Johnny. This is the Chinese people. Chinese people like to fight <laughs> 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 with that, that, that's that's a good point. Yeah, you would have had to do this, right? Right, and then the second thing, like, okay, so say Brian, you go through with this, right? You could probably grow something. You could probably grow something. The second thing is they would say to you, okay, you need to do some sort of a ritual cleansing, right? The 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 Hebrew word here is a mikveh. it's it's a bath that you would go like here's an ancient one this picture didn't show up really well but you can kind of see this cut into the stone here this would have been like an ancient kind of first century synagogue house kind of and you would go there and you would be cleansed you would be dipped in the water you would be dunked think about when john the baptist is in the wilderness baptizing right that was radical because if if you were converting into Judaism or if you were to go through these kind of th- this process, you would go into this little um, bath and they would dunk you similar to what we do today. Here's a modern day mikveh in, in what would be a, a synagogue, and this is where you'd go for your kind of ceremonial cleansing, right? So br- huh? That's pretty posh. It's nice, yeah. I, it's, I mean they might have some jacuzzi jets in there. I don't know the recipe, but they do it nice. Um, I was going to install one here, but kids keep on plugging them. So, Brian, you're on your way. You've been circumcised, right? You've gone through the pain and the difficulty of being circumcised. You've been washed. You've been cleansed. Now, the last thing that you would do to go into Judaism is you would go and make your sacrifice at the temple, right? Based on kind of your income, where you'd be. It could be a lamb. It could be a dove. It could be incense. It it would depend on, again, some, you know, you would probably most likely sacrifice a lamb. That was kind of what what would be done, right? And you would go make this temple sacrifice. And after you've gone through these steps, right, got circumcised, you um, got washed, you made your sacrifice, after you've gone through your steps, then we would give you the handshake and say, welcome, you are now a true Israelite. You are now a true Jew. Welcome to the faith, right? Um, Notice in this passage what Paul says, right? To be worthy, to be included, to be an insider. Notice what Paul says. He says in verse 11, right? In him, you are also circumcision or circumcised, not with a circumcision performed by human hands, right? Not with the rusty old knives, but with a circumcision, um, not with a circumcision performed by human hands, your sinful nature was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having then what? Been buried with him in baptism, right? In which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead, right? And they says when you were raised in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. And then notice this part. He forgave us all our sins, Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You could say that in some senses, circumcision, Yep, Jesus took care of that. It wasn't a circumcision by human hands. It was a circumcision of the heart performed by Christ. Baptism, Yep, Jesus took care of that. You you are baptized into Christ. You are uh, set free in Christ. You are made dead in Christ and also raised back. And then the temple sacrifice, right? All your sins were forgiven by the sacrifice that Christ made where? On the cross, Jesus accomplished all three. One of the major things, and I know I've said this before, but I want to say it again because um, we, we need to remember this and i don't say this is like hey we're 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 the greatest or we're the best even though i do believe that the difference between christianity and all the religions of the world is that christianity is the only one that will say that god has already taken the initiative towards you all the other religions of the world the major religions will say here's the steps you need to take to become closer to god have you done this? Have you done that? Have you made this step? Have you done all these things? Now you're one with God. Christianity is the only one that will say, God has taken initiative in Jesus towards you. Right? So we then are made worthy. We then are included. We then are an insider. Not because we've done the, the circumcision. Not because we've got the baptism. Not because we've done any of this stuff. It's because of what God has done in Christ Jesus. And Paul's communicating that to them again, right? Now, again, I think about that in the old church. I think about that today, right? I think about how we play this same game today that we're not worthy, that we're not included, that we're not an insider. Maybe at some level, you have this internal critic that's turned up just a little bit too loud, this shame, this guilt. And we have this, right? I have this, that... that, tells me how unworthy I am, how not I'm not good enough, I haven't done this. Um, sometimes, for me, my internal critic gets turned up a little bit loudly when I'm around some of the Pentecostal folks, right? And the Pentecostal folks are, like, raising their hands and they're you know, dancing and they're all, like, doing this, you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, man, maybe I'm not really that great of a Christian, you know what I mean? Like, maybe I'm not. And there's the shame and the guilt that creeps in, right? This kind of is the same, too. I, I use this phrase positional holiness. Maybe you've heard of this before, but maybe your are internal critic. What I mean by positional holiness is this. Um, you can look around at others, right? Oftentimes what we do is subtle. We look around at others, and we judge our worthiness. We judge our holiness. We judge our ability or our relationship with Christ by those around us. So, for example... You might be sitting there this morning and be like, oh no, the the pastor, like that guy for sure. He's like on the on the food chain of holiness, he's up here. Now, let me think here. Um, the glistens, the guns, they were like from the very beginning, so they're probably pretty close up to the top. You know, they're the stories have well-behaved children, they're kind of somewhere in, you know, up in there. Um and then um I know that I've heard, let me think who I'm gonna pick on. Uh, <laughs> I know I've heard Chase say some swear words, so he's probably down here when the 49ers lost. So he's, so maybe I'm somewhere like above Chase, but I'm like below. And we do... But don't you understand that Jerry Jones made the stadium with the hole in the roof so that the good Lord Almighty can just stare right down and watch the games every Sunday afternoon. We do this, and it's subtle, but we kind of like, we kind of look around this kind of, we, we judge our worthiness, our, our you know, our, our holiness by those around us. And we kind of, and I, like I said, I do this like sometimes with Pentecostals, right? Like I, my dad's Pentecostal, I'm like, man, my dad's probably way more holy than I am, way more worthy than I am, like, in, you know, and, and we, we kind of play these subtle games, Um maybe sometimes when we think about, we have these feelings, again, from our internal critic, that we're not worthy, that we're not close enough, and maybe it's some sort of pain or suffering that you're going through, right? How many times have you heard somebody going through pain or suffering or going through some sort of difficulty and be like, yeah, God must be mad at me for something, right? Or that kind of, you know, oh, God's, if I do something bad, right, God's going to strike me down with a lightning bolt. Or just that... And even though these are kind of subtle and joking, it still lies somewhere in there, right? That God's kind of frustrated with us. Our pain or suffering is somehow linked to something we've done. Maybe you have a signature sin, some sort of failure that you just keep coming back to, right? And the critic just, the critic, we, we all, anybody live with that internal critic? Or is it just, you know what I'm talking about? Like it just, it just, it just can, it can dog you, Right? It's just like saying, oh, you're not baptized. You haven't done the circumcision. You haven't done any of this stuff. And I wanted to remind us today, like everybody sitting in this room, right? Based on what Paul is talking about here. Like you are worthy, right? You are on the inside of the inside. You are in the holy of holies. That phrase that my my friend James Smith uses, you are one in whom God dwells. And delights. God likes you, right? Not just because He has to, He likes you. One of my favorite, favorite authors who speaks on this is a guy named Brendan Manning. And just this little quote here at the bottom My deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I've done nothing to earn it or deserve it, right? God and Jesus took the initiative. Towards us. He circumcised us. He baptized us. He forgave us. We've done nothing to earn it or deserve it. Other than maybe at some point. Sticking out our hands like a beggar. And saying okay. Sure Jesus I'll take that. Right? That's all we've done. And so we are now worthy. We are now made whole. We are now cleansed. We are now clean. We are in the holy of holies. I was thinking about this too. If, if that internal critic kind of comes at you, right? For whatever, you know, the pain or the suffering, your the, the sin, the holiness, man, when you just begin to read these verses in 11 through 14, right? Um, in him, you're circumcised, um, not performed. Your sinful nature was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, right? Um, you've been buried with him in baptism. You've been raised from the dead. You were dead in your sins, and how you're made alive in Christ. Your sins are forgiven, right? Another good transition. Talk about yeah, like but but um, God's done all this, right? And if this is something that you know this week, this past week, you struggle with, just go back to this passage in Colossians. Let these words just kind of wash over you. One more thing I want to talk about: um, external judgments. Now. This popular tattoo only God can judge me. Eric, I thought that Allen Iverson had this on him. Tupac was the one that really. Tupac was the one that had it? Yeah, he had that uh, ah. song, the regrets, regret to just now. Is that Okay, so I was just I yeah, see he popularized the phrase and people got the tattoo. Yes, yeah. Tupac did. Yeah. Okay, that's what that's where it came from. Because I know that, and then I was like, looking. I thought it was Allen Iverson. He had the only the strong tattoo. I remember that one. Man, I loved Allen Iverson when he was when he was playing for Philly. Um, but so Tupac. So anyway, this is this is the popular tattoo. Such a popular slogan by the time. By the way, right now too, right? Like, um, you know, this kind of idea that no one can judge you, right? And especially in Christianity today, right? Like, don't no one can judge you. Or we kind of throw this around. Like don't don't have any judgments, don't do anything. Like only God can judge you, right? It's such and it's such a popular 21st century slogan, right? And this is what Paul talks about here in verse. Uh, where are we at here? 14 16, right? Paul says, verse 16, don't let anyone judge you, right? And we're like, yeah, nobody can judge me. Like I, I can do what I want. Like nobody can stand over judgment on I me. Mean, I'm gonna get that tattooed on my body. Like, cause you can't only God can judge me, right? What do you think about that tattoo, Johnny? And we get to this, this kind of conversation, and maybe you've been around church circles for a while, Christian liberty and Christian legalism. Only God can judge me. I right? can kind of like, who who, you know, you can't you can't judge me. Right? And then some people are like, well, you know, here's the rules that you have to do, and you know, this this is what what God says. Um, what happens is with this when we try and define um, Christian liberty, right? Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of like just just like 1990s Christian legalism, um, like R-rated movies. Nope, can't do that. Um, yeah, Halloween's R-rated. Um, like, here's the amount of alcohol you can have, or or not have. Like, I grew up in a house that's like, no, you can never. Um, or, I mean, you know, you can kind of think of a whole thing like dancing and, you know, just sort of the things, right? And we've kind of moved away from that, and we said, well, you know, no one can judge you. Only God can judge you. And what happens is when we try and to find liberty, you kind of end up back at the dead end of Christian legalism. I like how this commentator then talked about this idea of Christian liberty, right? Because this is what we think about when we think about only God can judge me. Don't let anyone else judge you. Only God can judge me. I can do what I want, and he says that this idea of Christian liberty has nothing to do with a miserable individualism whose highest ambition it is to do just what it likes, right? So I'm going to contradict myself in a sense because I want to define Christian liberty, but I want to layer it back to, and I think Paul does this in his letters where he kind of calls back into different arguments and his arguments grow on one another and they kind of layer together. I want to layer it back to a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the will of God. And when we talked about the will of God, we said that the will of God isn't necessarily like, hey, what college does God want me to go to or should I marry this person? or it's not, It wasn't like this matrix just for making individual, individual decisions. It was universal guidelines, outlines, right? And when I was thinking about Christian liberty, Right when I was thinking about kind of doing whatever you want, um, you know, I was, and this might be a little bit small, but again, this kind of idea, the will of God, right? The will of God is that you are sanctified, right? Paul says in Thessalonians four three, it's God's will that you would be sanctified, and specifically he talks about sexual sins there, right? Paul in Thessalonians five sixteen through eighteen says that it is God's will, right? That you rejoice and you pray and you give thanks. Paul in Ephesians says, again, it is God's will that you would live intentionally, not just allow this life to kind of float you along however it wants, but that you would live intentionally for Christ. In Acts 22, we learn that it is God's will that we would learn and listen from Jesus. In Romans 12, it is the will of God that we would sacrifice and be transformed and that we would have mental renewal. This is what Paul says is God's will. So when I say that, that you know, don't let anyone judge you. Let me connect all these things together, right? Don't let anyone judge you, right? You can kind of do whatever you want. Only God can judge you. But I think that God, right? I think that these are the guardrails in which we operate, right? This is the lane in which, like, hey, God, this is what you're calling me to be. This is how you're asking me to live in this world. What really struck me about this too, I, I was sitting at my desk this week and I pulled up this slide as I was just kind of going through my sermon. And I looked at these, these points of, of what God's will is for my life, right? Of what I, of what I think we're, we, you know, I was struck, I was like, I want to take, take these things seriously again. Sometimes you kind of read the Bible, we look at the, the verses and we're like, oh, okay, whatever. And I was like, man, I want to like, live in these things. Like, I want to be sanctified in, a, in such a sexually saturated culture all over the place, everywhere. I want my mind to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be free from all the nonsense and gross and vulgar sexuality that's in our culture. I want to be a person who rejoices. I want to be a person who's praying. I want to be a person who's thankful. Right? I want to live intentionally. I want to learn and listen from Jesus. I want to sacrifice. I want to be transformed. I want mental renewal in my heart. And I remember sitting there at my desk and I just stared at this slide for a little bit and I said, man, I want to take these things seriously in my life. I hope that when we look at these things, this is God's will, his desire for your life, right? This is what matters. These are the things that we get judged on, right? This is what God looks at and says, this is what I want you to do. Are you doing these things? And it was really, really stark for me to think about those things again. Um, so I think that's about all I got. Yeah, I'm going to do some discussion. But what, you know, just going all the way back to the beginning, Paul's confronting these hollow, these deceptive philosophies, right? This idea that Jesus is not God, this concept that you are not worthy, and this concept that only outside opinions matter. This is what Paul is confronting, and this is what we understand, that Jesus is the Son of God, and in him the fullness of the deity lives. That We are worthy, right? Based on what Jesus has done, he's baptized us, he's circumcised us, he's forgiven us. The outside opinions matter, all the ways that people would judge you and try and make comments about you. They don't matter. Only what God says about you matters. And the things that, are the, that matter are right here, right? God's will for your life. Um, let's do a little discussion. Uh, has there been a thought, maybe kind of philosophy, it could be something inside the church, it could be something outside the church, that has taken you captive at some point in your life, it's distracted you, it's drawn you, it's pulled you away. Of the three deceptive thoughts that Paul focuses in on, which do you find most threatening to you as you walk with Christ? Again, that's Jesus is not God, you're not worthy, um, and that outside opinions matter. Where have you experienced Christian liberty and Christian legalism? What is the fallacy in both, right? Because there's fallacy in legalism and saying here's all the laws you have to do, and there's fallacy in liberty that says you can do whatever you want, and God's only God can judge you and whatever. Um, is there something that you want to take with you this week and think more on? So, just take a few minutes for these these questions, and then uh, we'll do some discussion together.